Groovers, friends, party people, I love this episode. I just got off a call with Caitlin Katie. That was this conversation. Caitlin is the author of Heavily Meditated. She is a mother of three. She's a hope dealer, an all-around legend. And honestly, if you have ever thought about meditating, if you have hoped to add a little bit more stillness and chill into your life, and you've thought that that may be a little far out of reach, Caitlin breaks it down here, makes it way more attainable and doable and just way less like, whoa, meditation. You're going to love her. And I can't wait to bring you this conversation. And if you listen all the way to the end, there's a hot little tip on how to get your hands on a copy of Caitlin's book, Heavily Meditated. Caitlin, you are the author of Heavily Meditated, a true hope dealer, a mother of three and a gangster of love. How the bloody hell are you? (laughs) So good. Thank you for having me. Really glad to be here today. I'm stoked that we could finally get it together to make it happen. I have just, I've just finished reading your book and you know that I've been loving it. I've been sharing lots of little snaps along the way. Thank you. It's just art. Like even aside from the message, it's just beautiful. So it's, yeah, I absolutely enjoyed every moment of that. Thank you. Yeah. It's such a, um, an amazing opportunity to be able to not only write a book, but to, you know, do the creative direction and to work with the designer of my dreams, and my, um, which is Danny from Danny and Al from Neverland Design. They're amazing. So huge props to them because, um, you know, amazing designers can elevate your words massively. And, you know, I think that they have so much that they've brought to the creative process and just made the book even more amazing than it would have been, you know, if it was just words on a page. Well, that's true. But credit where credit's due, but Neverland are phenomenal. I've like a huge fan of their work and um, have definitely stalked them out a few times. So tell me, how have you fared through the whole world shakeup that is 2020 so far? You know, I think um, if you haven't been, like you said, shaken up by it, then uh, you're just not paying attention. So I think a lot of my friends and I have been kind of joking because we all felt like 2020 is our year and, (laughs) you know, it's like a fresh start because a lot of us had really quite challenging 2019s and um, it felt like, you know, 2020 was going to be a fresh start. And Lo and behold, it has been, but in a way that I don't think any of us could have anticipated. So, you know, I'm doing I'm doing well, and um, and there's a lot that's coming up for me as it, as it is for everyone. And I think there's a lot of um, growth and change that's happening for all of us individually and collectively, which overall is is uh, positive. You know, it's really amazing. But you know, when you're in there doing the work, sometimes it's hard. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And there's no right way to be feeling right now. There's no right or wrong way to be doing everything, I think, because however everyone's managing to get through and to process, it's all, you know, exactly as it should be as always. So yeah, totally on board with that. No one saw it coming in everything. It's just 
but as always. Yeah, how are you doing? I am doing okay. Like I feel like we like our like in terms of the whole ISO thing, our our life is pretty isolated anyway. Like we're pretty chill um here. But in terms of like the consciousness revolution and you know, like the whole, the racism issue. I am so glad that that has been brought to the forefront. So we're busy unpacking that as a little family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so uncomfortable to become aware of all of the white privilege and everything that's come along with that. Um, but that's the best sort of uncomfortable to be. Like, I'm glad we've all been shaken a little by that and are forcing, like being forced to face all of that stuff and things that we maybe weren't aware of before. So only good things can come from it. Agreed. So let's talk meditation. So you would be hard pressed to find any wellness expert who like doesn't reco getting sit down, which is also (laughs) a term that you coined by the way. And I love it because I love a pun and I love like anything wordy, but what are some of the benefits to meditation and how do they come about? Because I think that is something that's like everyone says go meditate but not all of us know why and I found that so interesting within your book oh yeah thank you yeah I think that um you know these there's so many reasons why we should meditate and there's so many benefits and you know all you have to do is a quick google search and there's more listicles and blog posts about it than you could shake a stick at so there's, there's tons of benefits to it from changing our, you know, actually changing the chemistry and the way that our brain functions to, um, you know, feeling a greater sense of calm and less stress and all of these things that you've probably heard about memory, cognitive improvements, all kinds of things. However, I think that when we sort of bypass the work in uncovering our personal reason for meditating, we miss out on the opportunity to create a deeper sort of sense of commitment to the practice itself. And so what I mean by that is if, if I, if, you know, someone listens to this podcast and goes, Oh, well, I heard these two gals talking about it. And they said that it was like amazing Mm -hmm. for feeling more calm or, you know, for um, improving, you know, creativity or, you know, healing your relationship with your body. If you just sort of pick an arbitrary reason because you've heard it's good for you, you're, you're, you're not going to feel like a deep sense of commitment to it. Whereas if you sort of dig deep and under, you have a broad understanding of what, what the potential of a regular meditation for you, but if you do the work and you dig in and look at the aspects of your life that need to be healed or the aspects of yourself that where you're coming up against resistance, um, that's where the real deep why resides. And I think meditation has something different to offer all of us. But when you take the time to dig in, what happens is that your when your reason for meditating is personal and crystal clear, showing up becomes effortless. So as a practical example, for me, you know, my meditation journey really began when I was um, sick with Lyme disease. So it's a tick-borne disease, and I had a chronic diagnosis. So I was sick for um, almost 10 years with that, and also during that time had dengue fever and um, mono or glandular fever and wow. some other a, n- a number of other issues. So my immune system was pretty shattered and I realized, you know, I'd done all the holistic things. I'd tried Chinese medicine and naturopathy and homeopathy and like vitamin C this and all the, like I'd tried all the things and I, and they had helped. 
However, the, the last sort of piece of the puzzle for me was making a mental shift. So I was total type A overachiever. I still say I'm like a recovering perfectionist <laughs> and like a recovering type A, you know, overachiever. But um, for me, it was really I recognized that being in that sort of like hustle mentality and overachieving and never stopping and being really like stuck in that adrenal state. So, you know, that sense of fight or flight Mm -hmm. that was making me sick. And I understood that intuitively that I needed to make a mental shift. And what I didn't actually know at the time is that, you know, there's this really tight connection between our mind and our body called the nervous system. And so when we can actually calm the nervous system, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of an interrelated um, situation where our mind is affecting our body and our body is affecting our mind. So when we can find a way into that to actually influence the nervous system, it stops us from being in that perpetual cycle that leads to, to burnout. So for me, it was like my why was that I didn't want to be sick for the rest of my life. And I understood that I needed to make a really major mental shift and a shift in the way that I was showing up in the world. And I needed to learn how to be. And that's what meditation helped me do. So that's what I mean when I say a personal reason is and maybe for, you know, later in my later in my sort of meditation um, practice, you know, I started having children. And so they became reasons to meditate, Mm -hmm. personal reasons. So your reasons will grow and change. And now, as I say, because as I've committed to it for, you know, a decade, nearly, um, you know, all these, I say like a whole, you know, field of, of benefits have popped up like wildflowers, because there's, there's just so much benefit in a regular practice that, you know, you, you, you end up having so many reasons to show up that you're like, why would I not? Well, that's it. And I guess from what you're saying, like everybody's benefits and what comes from it are going to be such a personal thing, depending on what it, what it is that you are showing up for, how it unfolds for you is going to be so unique to um, your life and where you're at. And I love that with the book, how there are places within that too. There's a whole section on workshopping that. And you know what? I resisted it so hard yeah. at yeah. the start. I was like, I don't want to write this down. I I did, but it really took a minute to, well, I put put it down and come back and put it down and come back because we don't want to face that stuff or it's just we gloss over it because that's not the fun stuff, right? We want to do the Instagram-worthy cute pics without doing the inner, like going to the inner stuff, you know, and that can be really mucky or it can be really beautiful as well. But yeah, there's, well, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's not unlike the work that we're all doing right now. It's like, it is painful because we're all looking at our shit mm-hmm. and you know, that's the, that's always the way it is, is that it's always two sides of the same coin, right? Is that, you know, and that's what I write about a lot in the book and something I'm interested in general is just this idea of resistance mm-hmm. and that, you know, resistance tells us that it's keeping us safe. So that resistance was what was keeping you from, from doing that because there's some part of you that's like, yes, I know that there's this other way of being that might reflect more, you know, better reflect my full potential. But, um, but I know what it feels like to be the way that I am right now. And so I feel safe. Mm 
Yeah. Um, and so that's that, that's that dance with resistance where like for me, anytime resistance shows up, I'm like, Oh, it's on, let's go. Because I know, (laughs) you know, I know that if resistance is showing up to the party, like it's going to be a rager and I've got to break through it because what's on the other side is this expanded potential for myself. So uh, literally everything like this book is an example of working through the resistance because I kept showing up for it. I kept pushing through the resistance and, you know, I've created this, this, you know, ex- this sort of creation that I'm really proud to share with the world now, but it took courage. Yeah. And isn't that funny? Do you find that, well, now that you've recognized that you've got that pattern of resistance to th- like we all do, no one's like a bullet a gate, totally like double gunning it through everything. Super excited. We have resistance for a reason. And it's like you might nail it in one area of your life and be like, because I know like say with, you know, movement, if I feel resistance or I'm not that keen for it, I know that I do it anyway, like show up, mm-hmm. lean mm-hmm. in, do it anyway, mm-hmm. because I've I've gathered the evidence to support the fact that the payoff for me is always worth it. But that same lesson can show up everywhere. If that's some, one of our patterns, just because it looks a little different doesn't mean that um, just because it's presenting itself differently doesn't mean it's like a different lesson, if you know what I mean. It's the same lesson just showing up in a different form. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, sort of underneath what you're talking about with the movement is like you have a super clear why. Yeah. You, maybe you haven't actually like articulated it. Maybe you didn't sit down and write it write it down in a worksheet, but like you have a very clear why and therefore it's your motivation is is built in. And that's what I'm trying to do in the book is to help people uncover that for themselves because you know, like you said, at this point you're so committed to that to to your movement practice that you have this whole, you know, field of benefits that you know are there waiting for you. So it's effortless to show up so that, you know, the, the way to sort of the hack for that is like, well, what's the original, like, what's the, what's the first why, what's the first benefit that you really need in your life. And then it does become just, you know, you stay in that motion, you stay in that flow. So I think, I think it's really great. Like, I think exercise is such a great sort of you know, it's so familiar to so many of us. And there's mm-hmm. so many sort of analogies that we can make t- between, you know, a movement practice and a meditation practice, you know, even the idea of, you know, repetition, and like, why do I need to do it all the time? And, um, you know, I always like to joke that there's um, an amazing meditation teacher, Sally Kempton, who, who calls, you know, bringing our attention back to the focal point, which is the process of meditation, that's called a meditation sit up. And I love that analogy because it really helps people understand that the practice itself is just a practice. And it's like we're doing it over and over and over again, not to necessarily like we don't do a a sit up to like reach the the point in the sit up where we feel our muscles contracting. We're doing it with an with a different outcome in mind, an outcome that happens when we're not actually doing this, like that we enjoy when we're not actually doing the sit ups. And, um, you know, I think it's the same with with our practice is that this idea that what we're doing in the practice is actually serving us like outside of the practice. And therefore what happens when we're meditating is less important than how we feel in the rest of our life. Does that make sense? 
That is brilliant. That I'm sure that will land for so many people. Um, I love that so much. And one of the biggest myths that I hear um, get around about medis and meditating is that in order to be successful or have a successful meditation, that you need to empty your mind of all thought, which oh, yeah. I, it's just, I think that's just so confronting or scary. So can you unpack that for us? Because that's not actually how it is, right? No, it's not. It's not at all. I always joke that meditation has a PR problem because there are so many myths about it pervading the world that it's like, no wonder people don't want to do it. Like it really needs a new publicist. And Mm -hmm. that's what I'm here to do. We need banana Um, bread's publicist because it has had one hell of a year. Right. Or avocado toast. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, all right, let's, Let's just talk about the, you know, your basic question is just that, like, do I need to have a still mind? And is that sort of the outcome that I'm looking for in meditation? And if I can't have a still mind, am I failing? And the shorter answer is no, like, none of that is true. So let's talk about the mind first. The mind is designed. So it's designed to sort of look for threats. Oh, did you lose me? You're back. You're back now. Okay, I'm back. Yeah. Um, the mind. So the mind is really designed to be hypervigilant. So it's designed to sort of keep us safe. And when we were talking earlier briefly about the, you know, the nervous system, you know, for many, many years, we needed to be hypervigilant because we needed to run from predators or, you know, potential threats and that kind of thing. So that fight, flight, or freeze response and the way that that affects our body and our mind is not an accident. Um, so, so first we need to understand that. And second, we need to understand that our mind like loves to be entertained. It loves to be charmed. So it's very natural for our mind to either be wandering or worried or seeking pleasure. Like those are really normal things for the mind to do. So first of all, when we understand that, then when our mind is wandering, it's like, oh, it's not, there's nothing broken in me. There's not, there's just something wrong with me. It's just what my mind is designed to do. So when, when we then go and sit in meditation and our mind is wandering, it's like that's part of the practice. And that's why the practice is bringing our attention back to a focal point over and over and over again, or the meditation sit up. So I think it's really disempowering for people to think that they need this sort of Spartan clean mind and that they're going to reach this state where they're, you know, they're thoughtless. And yes, you may have days where you have a sort of blissful experience in meditation and you have a sense of spaciousness and there's, you're, you're sensing the space between thoughts and like, it can be super beautiful, but there's also a lot of days where you show up and that's just not the experience. So the main thing to keep in mind is that, you know, and we touched on this earlier, um, is that this is what my teacher Rod Stryker says, the measure of your meditation, of your meditation is the quality of your life. And so what happens, therefore, what happens on the cushion, if our mind wanders a million times, and we bring it our attention back a million times, like, that's all good. That's why we're doing it. And then the proof is in the pudding of our life. So it's really about like, how are we showing up in our lives? And are we sensing and feeling a difference in our life? Not not so much about the practice itself. That is epic. And so true. That's so true. 
Yeah. So yeah I, I love the way that you guys have both put that, like from your teacher through to you. And I totally get the idea, though, that sitting with your thoughts and playing with your thoughts would be absolutely paralyzing for so many because, you know, I've absolutely experienced that. And I know through certain periods of my life, catching a conscious whiff of my own thoughts would have brought on a full-blown panic attack. So what's your oh, advice yeah. Yeah. for anyone listening who's in that space where the idea of, you know, staying still or even just starting to pay attention and play with your thoughts and become aware of them if that's petrifying um what 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 do you yeah such a great question um and it's funny because someone just asked this question in our heavily meditated facebook group um last week so it's it's going around i love it i love when you get the same question a few times because it means like lots of people are vibing with that um so i think the first thing is to, um, you know, to really just preface this by saying for some people who have experienced trauma, you know, they, for them, meditation may not be advised to, you know, for them to just go out and do it and like listen to any old guided meditation. And they might want to seek out a senior teacher or a psychologist who's trained in meditation or mindfulness to really support them and design a practice specifically based on their needs and even, accompany them personally through their practice. Mm -hmm. So I always like to just acknowledge that, you know, for some people, it's really, really important if, if there's a history of trauma, if there's a history of mental illness, it can be really important, um, to, to really seek professional support. That being said, um, I don't know a human being who isn't sort of at some point in their life, afraid of feeling their feelings or thinking their thoughts or being alone with their thoughts. Um, And the evidence of our lives really points us to that fear, which is we get in the car, we put on a podcast, we go on a walk, we call a friend, we cook dinner, we put on music. Like we do not want to be alone with our thoughts. And there's this sort of like interesting thing that happens. And I think it's really in relation to sort of productivity and achievement is that we're trying to fill sort of every moment with an activity or, you know, teaching ourselves something or learning something. So we're filling up. And I think that what practices like meditation help us do is sort of empty out. And so of course, it's going to feel at odds with the way that you are in your everyday life, because we are taught to be consumers, we're taught to be productive, we're taught to be even, you know, this whole self improvement thing can be an addiction. So it's, yeah, it's, I I guess I just want to make the point that it's really normal to feel a resistance again to being still and being quiet because it is quite literally at odds with everything that we've been sort of subconsciously taught to do in life. Now, what shows up like, yes, for some people there is trauma and that's, you know, that's why it's important to seek help. But for a lot of us, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of, worries and anxiety and just chatter in general and actually sitting with that and witnessing it and and putting yourself in the position of like I'm just not going to engage with it and when I notice a thought come I'm just going to mentally say oh thought or thinking and in that way you sort of put yourself in the position of like witnessing and you're separating yourself from the thought and this is such a game changer because when we can sort of think of ourselves as the sky and that thoughts are clouds, you know, I love this sort of metaphor because um, the thoughts, the feelings, the circumstances of our lives are always changing and shifting. 
And when we can recognize that we're the sky and that we're this sort of spacious awareness, we become less attached to the feelings or the thoughts or the experiences that we're having at any given moment. And that creates this like real sense of stability and, um, you know, overall, I think, safety um, within ourselves of just accepting what's happening rather than trying to sort of anticipate or create a mental insurance policy against all the things that might go wrong. Does that, does that, is that ringing a bell for you? Absolutely. A hundred percent. And it's like, I remember the first time when I first started unpacking all of this about six years ago, um, that notion that we're not the voice in our head, we're the one who hears it. Yeah. Blew my mind. Cause I was yeah. just like, Oh, we have a choice. You yeah. know, like yeah. I'm yeah. not always buying what I'm selling. Like I don't have to, you exactly. know, engage in that. Exactly. And that was a big pivoting moment. And what, well, and he, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say um, something really that always fascinates me is that, um, like, when if I say close your eyes and um, you know sense sense the air on your skin or just sense your skin. You don't sense your skin from the inside out. You sense your skin from the outside in. And so there's this, this is an idea that like the yogis talked about is that like the witness, like you were saying, the sort of the witness um, is, is not only the way that we're sort of that we should approach our mind, but it's really interesting because we already intuitively do it when we're talking about our physical experiences is that we see ourselves from the outside in when we're given the chance to sort of shut down our senses, which I just think is so fascinating. That is trippy. I have Isn't never it? thought about I it know, like that. I know, I know. Oh, that's going to be an interesting afternoon. I know, right? <laughs> but it's a great hint, right? It's yeah. It's a great hint back to like sensing our true nature and that is that we're so much more than the thoughts that we think and that we're so much more than the skin that we're in and that there's this bigger you know, bigger sense of ourselves and this sense of spaciousness and this sky-like mind um, is, is an amazing thing to sort of work with because as things happen in your day, you know, you become less sort of fanatical and attached to what's happening and more sort of accepting of like, oh, this is just the thing that's happening at this moment and it's not, it doesn't say anything about, you know, you don't have to let it ruin your day or your life for that matter. Well, that's it. Like I have caught myself so many times, like I used have written a bazillion things and I've retracted it now in whatever way, every time I can that, you know, about negative feelings or this negative thought process or whatever, when now I'm, my whole jam is like, let's all just level the playing field. There's no negative emotions. They're just feelings like everything is level like joy gets mm. a really big rap mm. so then we're like if we're not feeling 100% joyful then there must be something wrong with our life yes. like that gets sold to us the same thing with like positive feelings and negative feelings but if we take that out and just let everything just be what it is and you know put them all on a level playing field that takes a lot of the pressure off well and i th- i think i couldn't agree with you more i could not agree with you more and i think that you know, it's a, it's a person well in life and also in meditation. And I think it's just that idea of like, you know, of accepting all of it as the human experience. And when we, when we can do that in meditation and say like, Oh, I don't need a still mind or I don't need to be like miss high vibes to have a meditation practice. 
it's this, you know, it, it's a, it's empowering just as it's empowering. When I say to you, you can experience deep, deep grief and also have moments of joy and you can have a life of filled with joy and still have, you know, these little potholes of massive grief and that they coexist and they actually inform each other. So it's really about sort of this deep acceptance of all of these aspects of life and not needing to sort of cover over them or whitewash them with, with, you know, positive vibes. It's about accepting them. And I think that like hot when I, mean, I talk a lot about high vibes and, you know, setting a vibration of what you, what you want out to, you know, to sort of receive in the world. And I think Mm -hmm. I'm into that. I'm down with it. But I also think that, you know, there's a difference between like having a negative mindset and having a, a challenging, sad, heartbroken feeling. They're different. Totally. Yeah. So we, yeah, we need to be discerning about like that language is just like, you know, negative, negative thoughts, negative feelings and a negative mindset. They're not all the same thing. Very different. Very, very different. And I know another thing, um, with meditation that you do talk about within the book, I know like, especially like I love Instagram. I love a beautiful image and a graphic and all of that, that will often help me evoke a certain emotion. But Mm. so many people have this notion that, you know, if you don't have an hour and a comfy place by a lake with the birds chirping and incense, then you don't have time to meditate. But that Mm. is not the truth again, is it? You can, meditation takes many forms and you don't need an hour. Totally agree. Yeah. My motto is done is better than perfect. And you know, it, that, that really started for me with meditation and that's something that meditation has taught me that I've carried back into my life off of the cushion, which is just this, you know, it's unwinding this, this idea of perfectionism in every aspect of our lives. Um, and you know, meditation is no different. So especially as, you know, as, as moms, we really have to embrace that idea of like, the the sort of crazy 10 minute meditation where the kids are you know yelling and screaming outside and playing or whatever is better than the meditation that we never get to when we're waiting for the house to be you know quiet and clean and and perfectly organized like that just never happens so anytime that we want to accept you know and invite a practice into our lives we have to accept that every day is going to be different and that there's no sort of perfect opportunity and no perfect amount of time. So for me, you know, the beginning of the practice always should just be meet yourself where you are. And if you can, you know, fit in seven minutes, 10 minutes, do that. Because naturally over time, your practice will change and grow and likely it will expand to more minutes or more sessions a day. But if there's no point in signing yourself up for two 20 minute meditations a day, if you don't feel like you have the time for that, or you have young, you know, really young children who, you know, you're still breastfeeding or whatever. It's just like meet yourself where you are and do what you can because done is better than perfect. So, um, that being said, I do really value and believe in a sense of commitment. So I think it's about meeting yourself where you are, but making a commitment to that. So if it is five minutes, seven minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is, lock it in, like make a date to meditate because when you do it regularly, 
it has a much bigger impact than like if you're like, oh, but on Saturday I'll have a 20-minute window, so I'll do a 20-minute meditation once a week on a Saturday. It would actually benefit you more, I believe, to spread that out over five days and do, you know, do shorter meditations over five days than to do one because you're inviting it into the rhythm of your life and you're practicing it in short bursts. Um, I mean, they've done all these studies too on like exercise where they've, they've shown that like, there's really not a difference in terms of the health benefit of like doing, you know, doing something for a shorter burst of time and doing something for a longer burst of time. So I say just like get it in where you can fit it in and, um, and watch what happens. Totally. Because it's magic. And I love that how in your book, because I mean, as a single mom with two wild, like hectic wildlings, like, well, they're not hectic. They're just boys. Yeah. Um, they're just being boys. Yeah. The, uh, the notion of seven minutes and I'm like, I can do seven minutes. Yeah. And the first, like I often do it around them. And the yes. first few times they were like, thought it was hilarious and climbed all over me through cushions, stacked cushions up on me, the works. But yeah. then now they, it's not even like, admittedly, I don't do it every day anymore. Like I did for like the first 30 days, but it has dissipated, but it's still um, definitely part of our life. They'll sit next to me sometimes. Sometimes they'll just go off and do their own thing. It's not a foreign concept anymore. It's not like, ah. right. Um, but it's built up. Some days I can get to 20 minutes. Um, I've got friends that meditate for two and three hours and yeah. I love that. I'm like, man, that is epic. I'm not there yet, nor do I need to be. I'm like where I am. Start, find yourself where you are. Like yeah. you said, that is so good. But yet yeah, seven minutes, I was like, that's revolutionary because I'd never heard anyone say that before because it was always 20 minutes or an hour yeah. or 45 minutes. Yeah. And it's that's overwhelming when you haven't actually practiced sitting still for that period of time when your to-do list is knocking at the door. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. And I think that there's, you know, it's, it's really about understanding that there is a benefit in that, but you know, seven minutes is an achievable amount of time for most of us. And if you don't have seven minutes in your life, then like, you know, it's a time, it's time to take a look at your life because Um, and be honest with yourself because I think so many of us talk about how time poor we are. And yet if you put that little screen time monitor on your phone, you will be amazed to see how much time you do have because you're on the gram scrolling around every day. How like that catches me out as well. I'm like, when I get my Sunday morning notification of how much time I've been on now. Yeah. Well, and that's, and it's really interesting because, um, like for me, I don't look at social media or email or text messages or anything until I've meditated in the morning. I mean, there's the odd day where that might not always be the case. Like, you know, if, if I'm on my own with the kids or something like that and I get up with them and then come back and meditate, you know, maybe I've seen something come in on my phone, but 99% of the time, I don't look at any of that shit until I've meditated. And it's a great way to sort of like make a deal with yourself about, you know, changing that or substituting that behavior. Because from a a lot of people, they roll over and reach for their phone. And a lot of us use, you know, the phone as an alarm clock and that kind of thing. So it's already in the bedroom. It's there. And then you literally start your day 
by scrolling or checking email or seeing text messages or whatever. And I just think that like, it's a really powerful statement to make for yourself about like, okay, this is the thing I'm going to do instead of looking at my phone first thing, I'm going to meditate for seven minutes and then I can do whatever the hell I want. But you will be amazed what happens and the shift that it creates in you and the sense of agency that you reclaim over designing your day. Because what happens when we just like inundate ourselves with news and information and FOMO is that we feel like crap. Mm -hmm. And something that we see on one of those little squares or a little email, you know, subject line can, can totally mess with our, with our energy and with our mood. And I just think it's like, how can you give, you can't give yourself a fighting chance at a great day if you're opening your day on that note. So I think that, you know, substituting that morning scroll with a little seven minute meditation is a way of creating more intention in your life. And it's, I think it's one of the most powerful times of day you can meditate for that very reason, because you get to set, you get to set the tone for your day. And it's about keeping that promise to yourself. I'm all about keeping the promises to ourselves before we can keep them to anyone else. And if you do set that intention and you do follow through, you're going to feel like fucking psyched at yourself yes. and jazzed and proud. Yeah. And it's like giving yourself the opportunities to feel that. Like if you want to evoke a better um, sense of self and accomplishment, set yourself little goals. And that can be, that's a perfect one. Um, if that's something that like feels good for you, that's a really good place to start. Like, and then you start to build your confidence in what you're able to like carry out throughout your day. I love those senses, sense of achievement that we can get from following through and backing ourselves with those little promises. Absolutely. And I mean, it's, I have a, like a morning meditation, guided meditation, and it's, like far and away the most popular meditation there's a seven minute version and a 15 minute version and people love it because um you get your little meditation happening and then you get to set an intention for your day and I think that um you know that that way of starting your day consciously and of saying like I'm this is this is my intention for my day becomes such an amazing, you know, it's such an amazing habit to, to create because it, it isn't about just like what happens in that moment. It's about the whole, the onflow into the rest of your day. And when you start with this beautiful sort of stable center, whatever happens during your day, you have this sort of great grounded starting point to come back to. So I think it's really, it's, you know, morning is, not the easiest time for all of us at different stages of our life, but it is, um, it is far and away my favorite. That and being said, evening is lovely too. And you have three young children. So like for all the moms who are going, but, oh, like, uh, but I have kids and I have this and I have that. I totally get it, but it's possible and it's not always pretty, but it's possible, isn't it? If you prioritize it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's everybody's situation is different, but, totally. um, but I think that, you know, like what you mentioned is sort of doing, doing it in front of your kids and letting them see it. Not only does that, you know, sort of just invite them into the practice and then, you know, have them see you do it as this really beautiful, like signaling to them of this is something that's in my toolkit that I value. And this is something that maybe down the track they will have in their toolkit, but it's also, 
signaling self-care and boundaries. And I mean, there's so much value in just letting them see you have this practice for yourself. So I, my kids like know all about my practice. They sometimes sit with me. They sometimes like, um, you know, imitate me, which I think is like adorable. And I'm like, yes, I'm modeling that behavior though. You know, even though they might actually not be meditating at this stage because they're really young, but I'm like, well, like mimic that. That's the kind of behavior that I want to model for you. But also, you know, you invite them in, in that you go, this is my thing that I do respect it. And you're welcome to come and sit with me. You are welcome to be, you know, to join me to, you know, my kids often like to put their head in my lap and that kind of thing. And it's like, as long as you're respectful, that's fine. I don't mind having you join me, but these are the rules. And if you can't, if you can't be respectful, then you're, you're not invited. Um, and they're generally great. Like the two and a half year old, she still like pulls my eyelid open sometimes and is like, Mama, <laughs> but again, you know, I think that in and of itself is a great sort of mindset to, you know, to, to bring with you into a practice when you have kids is that my kids, the voices of my kids are no more distracting than the voices in my head. Yeah. Like, you know, the noises that they make, the, same, the the things that they're talking about, I just have to treat it the same way that I'm treating these thoughts that maybe are coming through my the landscape of my mind as I'm meditating. It's like they come and go. Um, and that can be the practice. And know? I love that. I mean, my like <laughs> the habits that my sons are mimicking, especially my little one, he's just started saying fucking hell like over and over and over. <laughs> So look, anything's going to be a plus. So if I can, this can rub off on them. I'm like, that's got to be better than, you know, full on F bomb. So I'm down for that. But mums, I hope that like, I totally get it. If you don't feel like this is there for you just now, it's put it on the shelf and come back when it's, when it feels like that's something that you are willing to try. Um, yeah, I don't ever want to like shame mums into no, no, like no. going meditate no, no, in the morning. But, and I, I mean, I, I think I even say that in the book is that like, you know, especially if you're a new mom, it might be, it might be 10 breaths. Yeah. You know, like in those early day, days of motherhood, like if you don't, and especially if you don't have much support around, like it could literally be 10 breaths, uh, like just sitting, closing your eyes and following your breath as it moves, breathing in through the nose and following the breath as it moves in through the nose and out through the mo- nose 10 times. And even that being with yourself in that way and taking that little micro dose of meditation is, is, is powerful and is worth doing. So it's really, when I say seven minutes, if that still doesn't feel doable for you, then whittle it down to something that, that does. And it might be one minute. I also just want to suggest that, you know, after the kids go to bed evening, excuse me, is a beautiful time, like right before bedtime. Okay. Yeah. So evening's a great time as well. We just lost you for a sec. Yep. So any time that you're seeking to make a graceful transition, so whether it's you're transitioning into your day, you're transitioning out of work, you're transitioning into rest, I think it's a great place to sort of punctuate your your sort of flow of your day with a little pause for meditation. So, um, you know, I find that for me, it's sometimes hard to shift out of work and into family mode. Um, and it's just, you know, sort of that sense of like, as a working mom, you know, there's always things that are unfinished, either in your family life or in your work life. And it's about really getting comfortable with that, just leaving things where they are. 
And so for me having a little meditation before, right before school pickup. So like it could even be in the car, you just rock up, you know, five minutes early and do it there or, um, at your desk before you leave to go get kids or that kind of thing. Or after you put the kids to bed, you know, and just giving yourself that five minutes, it really is such a supportive practice in terms of, setting the direction of where you want to go next. So in the morning, it's like setting you up for the day mid, you know, afternoon, it can be sort of that transition into family life or in evening, you know, especially moms who are working, like we often pick up our laptops after the kids go to bed, and then it's really hard to wind down. So um, having a little sit with yourself before bedtime, it's amazing the, the way that it will impact the quality of your sleep. It's phenomenal. So anytime that you can do it, any of those which like intuitively sort of calls to you, just try it and commit to maybe like a week of it or 30 days of it if you really want to go for it and see what happens. And you have like, you don't have to fly blind with this. You have some amazing meditations uh, and resources available on your website, don't you? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, there's a meditation starter kit. There's also a morning ritual kit. Both of those are free tools. And then um, there is the book, obviously, if you want that sort of more in-depth experience. And I'm actually building a meditation app. So there are guided meditations that you can get on Insight Timer right now. Um, and the book comes with access to companion guided meditations because I really felt like that's such a critical piece is for people not to just be like thrown in the deep end and forced to like YouTube some guided meditations because it's a scary world out there. Yeah. You know, you, <laughs> you will find some sketchy, sketchy meditations. Um, but yeah, I, the, the app should be launching um, in late July. Wow. It's also called Heavily Meditated. So that'll have a whole library of guided meditations. Um, so there's a free version and you'll get access to around 10 guided meditations. And then there's a um, a paid sort of subscription that's really affordable that you get access to the full library of guided meditations plus an intention setting tool and a meditation tracker and then like an inspo deck so you can kind of like shake a little tarot deck and get a little you know daily dose of inspiration so that's oh. going to be a really fun tool um, to kind of complement you know the other things that I've that I've created because I just so exciting easy. Thanks. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. So in the meantime, you can um, yeah, go and grab the, the morning ritual. That also comes with a guided meditation that you can listen to, that morning meditation that I mentioned, um, or get the meditation starter kit. So lots of great, you know, easy to use resources that are that are there for you now. And where can we best get your book from, Heavily Meditated? Is it through your website or it's available in bookstores or online? Thank you. It's it's um, available at really most bookstores and, um, you know, I think it's so great to be able to support your local bookstore if you can, especially now as everybody's starting to reopen in Australia mm -hmm. and New Zealand. But um, if you want to order online, it's available at Demix and Booktopia and all those kind of places. Um, and then it's also going to be available in the U.S. and the U.K. and Canada on August 4th along with this is you know, you heard it here first. Oh, um, there's going to be an audiobook version as well. Stop. So, yeah. I love me some audio action. So that's awesome. Congratulations. Oh, thank you, lady. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I think it'll be fun because it's the kind of book where you could actually 
you know, have the hard copy and listen to the audio and they would actually really complement each other. So I'm excited to be able to kind of create an even more um, kind of holistic experience for people because it's a big, you know, like inviting meditation in is it's a big, it can feel like a big thing. And so to have um, all of these sort of different tools and to make, you know, make it easy for people to get access to it is just such a, such a privilege. So I'm really excited. And it would be a beautiful accompaniment because not only have I read the book, like I was saying, it's absolutely stunning. It now sits on my bookshelf in my lounge room where we sit so that oh. every time I look at it, I'm reminded like it's yes. like up there with like some of my favorite things and, oh. you know, it just, it's there. It's part of us now. I definitely highly recommend um, if meditation is something that you're curious about or it's, you know, been calling to you or it's something that you actually really are ready to dive into, get that book, get heavily meditated, find Caitlin. And you're, you do some beautiful posts and shares on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? It's Caitlin Katie. So C A I T L I N C A D Y. Um, and excuse me. And, um, thank you. Yeah. I would love to, it's always fun to connect with people on Instagram and also, um, can anybody can join the heavily meditated Facebook group? So there's a growing little community there of people who are um, reading the book, working their way through it. It's a great place to ask questions, get answers, and um, you know, really, it's a nice, really nice, like-minded group of people. Um, and also, I would love to give a book away to <gasps> one of your listeners. So, however you want to work that. Um, Oh let's my goodness. It. Yeah. Well, let's ha- check out the Facebook, um, Facebook and Instagram post, or we'll keep it on Insta. Let's check out the Insta post and for details on how one of you guys can win the book and, um, yeah, we'll have it all in there. So thank mm-hmm. you so, so much for taking your time today to share with us so much of your beautiful wisdom. And it's just been an absolute pleasure. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much for having me and for bringing that amazing energy that you bring to everything it's such a delight to spend time with you so thank you katie check out the show notes guys and i'll have everything linked for you there